to the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Certainly grateful for everyone who's coming on to the show right now and grateful for those who are going to be coming on later on today. Certainly grateful for God just giving us this opportunity to be able to worship him in spirit and truth on today. And certainly grateful for each and every one of you who has been a supporter of the show since day one and is going to be a future supporter on the show in the days and weeks to come. We got a jam-packed show for you on this morning. We're going to be talking about uh, George Clooney, uh, one of our favorite actors of all time, uh, who him and others tried to get the Screen Actors Guild um, strike uh, to be to be put on hold uh, so that we could get back to work and get back to watching some of our favorite TV shows on TV. Uh, we're going to also talk about how we tend to take the lies of the enemy and how we repeat them in our own daily lives, um, in our hearts and minds, and how they impact the way that we live on from one day to another. We'll be answering the question from the chat today, why are people not going to church? And we're also going to be talking about a, a millionaire who has dedicated um, his funds to trying to build homes and in doing so also created jobs in the process. But we're going to begin our show with going through another chapter of the book, God's at War. And let me flip my camera around so you guys can actually see the book for, um, for what it really is. Um, we're going to be continuing our series today um, talking about the book God's at War on this morning by Kyle Eidelman. And so I'm definitely again grateful for everyone who's come on the show today and hope that you're having a fantastic day in the name of the Lord. We're going to start off with a word of prayer and then we're going to jump into our word on today coming out of the book of Joshua as a backdrop for our um, topic on this morning um, talking about uh, calling all gods in chapter four of the book Gods at War by Kyle Eidelman. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you saying thank you for another blessed day in your presence. We're thankful, God, that you think it not robbery to give us this opportunity to be able to worship you in spirit and truth. And Lord God, we lift up this show to you. Let it be none of me and all of you. The words that I say, the comments that are read, Lord God, let it be all about you and, and just glorifying and magnifying your awesome and great name for all that you've done, doing and going to do, and more importantly, for who you are. We thank your son, Jesus Christ, who made this all possible by dying on a cross and rising again and crediting his righteousness to us that upon repentance and belief, we can have communion with you both now and forever. We ask, Lord God, that every believer that's coming across the screen on today, Lord God, may this edify them in a mighty and powerful way that they may be encouraged to continue fighting the good fight of faith. And for those who don't have a walk with you, Lord God, may 
We plant a seed in the hearts of those who don't have a walk with you, who don't want anything to do with you, who think we're crazy for following you, that you may grow to show them who they are, who they are in you and who you are to them. Lord God, we're grateful. We're, we're just, you're just freaking awesome in so many different ways, shapes, and forms that are just un just immeasurable. And so we give your name um, all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So again, we are reading the book, Gods at War. Uh, we've been reading this book for the past uh, uh, several days, uh, all, all this week, uh, since, since it's Monday. And um, we're in chapter four of the book now, entitled Calling All Gods. Calling All Gods. Um, I want to start off um, by reading the book of jo reading the book of Joshua chapter 24 um, Joshua chapter 24 so give me one second to get there as the backdrop for our conversation today Joshua chapter 24. Okay, it's before it's after before judges. There we go. Okay. Excuse me. We're gonna start at verse number ten. I delivered you out of out of um out of his hand, and you went over the Jordan. And came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land in which you had not labored. And cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your their fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. <clears throat> then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way we went and among all the people, peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also were served the Lord, for he is our God. In chapter four of Gods at War, Kyle Eidelman makes the point. That we are all going to worship something. He said a line in the in the book that was just a straight bar for me. Um, let's see if I can find it really quickly. 
He says, Peter Kreeft, a philosopher, puts it this way. The opposite of theism is not atheism. It's idolatry. We as the people of God, the creation of God, let me, let me scale it back. We as the creation of God, we are all going to worship something. We were created by God to worship. We were all created by God to worship something. And as a result of that, we are all going to worship something. You know, a lot again, people often will, there's some people who will say that I don't worship anything. That is worship. Because whatever, it, what worship really is, when you boil it down to its basic principle, is ascribing ultimate value and worth to something or someone. Ascribing ultimate value and worth to something or someone. That, in a nutshell, is what worship is. We, as the people of God, recognize that we're all going to bow down to something. Again, atheists may feel like they're not going to bow down to anything because I'm not, I'm not worshiping it, I'm not celebrating it, I'm not, you know, lifting up holy hands to it. But that is a caricature of what worship is. Worship is not the, is not the lifting of hands, it's not the singing of songs. It's a heart's posture that is saying that this thing is what is going to bring me ultimate value and worth. It's what's going to bring me ultimate value and worth. And as a result, I am dedicating and devoting my life to this thing, to this idea, to this concept, to this person, even if that person is myself. Um, in the book Recovering Redemption by Matt Chandler, he says that we're going to run to one of four wells. The God of myself, the God of others, the God of the world, or the God of religion. And in religion, he's talking about a list of do's and don'ts in an attempt to try to open up God's hand which is so that he can give us stuff and keep us out of trouble. Which again, is, is not devoting a, re a relationship to him. It's more so just trying to get him to open up his hand and give us stuff. And so in those four wells, we find that we have a tendency to worship something, to ascribe ultimate value and worth to something. That is what worship is. That's what worship, worship ultimately is. And we see by and large people worshiping something all the time. You know, just to give an example, just to give examples. Our tendency, you know, if you think about if you think about the football games that we that we love to watch on TV, that we love to watch, some of us will dedicate so much of ourselves to a football team. We know everybody's stats, we know the history, we've got every jersey that they've ever come out with, every color, every scheme, and you know, we know, you know, how far the dynasties run, we know everybody's numbers. We know how people have been traded from one team to another, and we get super emotional when they score, super emotional when they make a mistake. Sometimes we have seen people break their entire TVs because of how a game went, 
have to go out and buy a whole new TV so that they can have so that they can have um a, you know a, a, a television screen to worship to, to bow down to worship you know their football team all over again in the days and weeks to come and and, and that is what worship looks like you know we have people that will worship and idolize our celebrities you know, I hope nobody in here is in the beehive because I'm about to pick on y'all for a minute. So, you know, don't come at me or you can. That's 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 fine. But you have people who, you know, love Beyonce so badly that they have given up whole paychecks and they've, you know, given up whole, um, you know, um, whole bills that needed to be be paid so they could have a front row seat or nosebleed seat or somewhere in between to be able to see Beyonce not once, not twice, not three times, but as often as they possibly could while she's been on her Renaissance tour because they love her music so much and they idolize and, and love her so much. And so they've given up their entire, you know, mortgages and given up car payments and trying to figure out how I'm going to get this done. They've taken out whole loans in banks and in loan in, in, in loan um offices just so they can say I got to see Beyonce I got to be up close or I got to be able to see her on the screen or whatever the case is you have people who will celebrate and worship and idolize their children so much so that they'll put them in these organizations and put them in these clubs and put them in these things you know not in an attempt to allow them to be their best but so that they can live vicariously through their kids you know, so that they can say that, you know, that, that they give one mom of the year or dad of the year all the while their children are miserable because they're only doing this thing in order to make mommy and daddy happy. And they're not really into it. And they try to tell mom and dad, I'm not into it. But they're like, oh, you'll get it. Oh, you'll be all right. Just keep on going. Just keep on pushing. Yeah, that's my son. Oh, yeah, that's my daughter. You know, I'm so I'm so proud of them and everything that they're doing. And we come to find out the kids been miserable this entire time. If you've ever seen the movie High School Musical, you know, you had poor Zac Efron, you know, this boy wanted to act, but couldn't say he wanted to act because he was so good playing, um, you know, shooting basketball. Now we see him for three whole movies struggling to try to figure out who he is as a person. But he was so good with the ball, you know, everybody kept pushing him. Hey, shoot that ball, shoot that rock, you know. And so, again, you know, we as, um, as sometimes parents will, will put our kids on such a pedestal that we're idolizing and worshiping them or worshiping some idea of some kind. You know, some of us will worship our own intellect where we think that we so, we're so smart, we think we're so intelligent, we think that we're so intellectual that no one can tell us otherwise about the existence of God, about the existence of deity or anything of that nature. It's all about science. It's all about the, the facts. It's all about the data. And, and, and they'll push their, 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 their um, unbelief so hard that you, and, and the, the clock is ticking on somebody coming through here and at some point telling us, you know, how dumb we are about worshiping God because they're worshiping their intellect. But then when we tell them, we're worshiping your intellect, I'm not worshiping anything. We're all worshiping something. We're all, de we're all deifying something and again what what Kyle Eidelman says in the book is that we are programmed designed by God to put something in front of us and say that this is the thing that is giving me ultimate value and worth giving me ultimate satisfaction 
giving me ultimate joy. And so, as Kyle Ottoman describes it in the book, he says, sometimes we stand at those forks in the road and we know exactly what's at stake with the decision that must be made. But so many other times we just keep walking, wandering down a particular path without really thinking about it. We make many choices without ever being aware that we are choosing. We do things because that's the way our family's always done them. Or that's the way certain other people, people we admire, do them. Or because these days almost everyone does them that way. Whether or not we're aware of it, we regularly make choices that declare which gods are winning the war in our lives. Joshua in, 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 um, in Joshua, in Joshua 24, says it like, uh, basically lays it out like this. He shows the people what's behind the other three, what's behind other three, these three other doors. Either to follow the old gods from beyond the river, follow the gods we, you, you, that were met in Egypt, or to follow the local gods that were of the people that were already, de that were defeated in the promised land. The gods that compete for our attention come at us based on the circumstances of our everyday existence. They may have made a few costume changes over the years, but the categories remain the same. He says, all of us are worshipers. Worship is hardwired in who we are. It's true of every culture and every, in every civilization. Everyone worships. When I was in college, I spent a month in Africa with, med with a medical missions team. We, all, we went off-road and visited several tribes that had no contact with the outside world. We, as we entered communities, the question was not, are they worshipers? The question was, who or what do they worship? The church where I serve is actively involved in planting churches in the northeastern United States. Several times a year, I take a trip to New York City to visit our new congregations there. And the question is never, are they worshipers? The question is, who or what do they worship? We see that people will find something or someone that they're going to worship. And their worship will be sometimes be costly. You know, we see what we see that a lot of people, and a lot of people probably right here right now talking, I'm talking to, you know, they love Donald Trump. They, 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 they rah, rah, rah for that man all day, every day. So much so that they believe everything that he says. Some people are so, uh, so believe so much in him that they think that he's the second, that he's the second coming of Jesus himself. So much so that they were willing to lay their lives down on January 6, 2021 in an attempt to give him the throne of the United States all over again even though he um, rightfully lost that election. But people love him so much. They care about him so much. They idolize him so much. They worshiped him so much that they were willing to do the unthinkable and cause an insurrection to only now try to deny it time after time after time after time, despite the 
ocular proof, and my wife know what that, what we're talking about, the ocular proof that this thing happened. All in an attempt to try to secure and re-secure power in a government system where the power belongs to the people, supposedly, not to a person. But they idolized and worshipped him so much. And if you ask people who've been arrested and are going to jail are going to prison now for with the things that they've done, they'll tell you, I was duped. I believe this man was the was the man. And how many, you know, people helped to pump him up and make him the person that 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 you know is gonna be the savior of the United States. And all the while, God is saying to us, this is what happens when you allow a person or a thing or an ideology or a concept to usurp the throne of God. And a lot of times we don't we don't recognize we sometimes can't even realize what's going on because it's wrapped up in Christianese. It's wrapped up in such a way to where we're not realizing what it is that we're doing. Because at the end of the day, what God tells us is we are going to worship something and our actions will prove what it is that we're truly, what we're truly worshiping. All of us are worshiping something. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves putting something or someone before the throne of God. And God tells us that sometimes he will place us in a reprobated mind if we are not willing to examine ourselves and see, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'm actually worshiping something greater than God. I, I think I'm worshiping God. But am I really worshiping him or am I putting something else before him? That's why we said yesterday and the day before, we got to do a heart check. Because sometimes even our politics can come before God. In the name of Jesus, we can end up worshiping our politics. So I'm not just beating up on Republicans or Trumpers even. I'm talking about the Democrats too. I'm talking about everybody. Because sometimes we will put our politics before God. We will put our politics before him, before God, and as a result, we will find ourselves worshiping the very thing that we say we're not worshiping. No, I'm worshiping Jesus. Okay, but how are your actions lining up with serving the true and living God? So again, not just talking about politics. So don't get caught in the weeds. Entertainment can become a God. Sex can become a God. Relationships can become a God. Bills can become gods. Making money can become a god. You know, um, you know, trying to become a CEO can become a god. Wanting to go on vacation month after month after month, day after day after day, week after week after week can become a god. Our intellect can become a god. Our intelligence can become a god. Our study can become a god. Even trying to do a list of religious do's and don'ts can become a god. As he says in the word, sometimes we will take on the religion of our parents. And because their religion worked for them, it's got to work for me. When their religion might have worked for their time frame, but now that we're in 2023, the methods by which they are worshiping God may not be as effective as they as 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 they as they um as they were back then today. 
But we got to keep it things the way they've always been. So now we're falling far, so far away from God because we're worshiping the methods instead of worshiping the God of the methods. And so again, it's, we're not just, we're not just put, so don't miss the forest for the trees. Anything can become a God. Anything can become idolatrous. Anything can become worshiping. We can worship any and everything. And so what God is trying to tell us through the, um, through the scriptures as well as through um, this book today is that anything can become deity if we're not watchful of what it is that we find ourselves doing from one day to the next and what actually is pushing us in the direction in which we are going. Because again, we can say, I love Jesus, but your actions may speak a whole lot louder than the words. Here it is. Here's where we get confused. In our modern thinking, we associate worship with religion. We think worship has something to do with a lot of robes and rituals and really old music. And if someone doesn't have a drawer in the dresser of their life labeled organized religion, then they, then they, then, then they assume that the question of what God they worship doesn't apply to them. You've got drawers labeled work, family, finances, and hobbies, but not worship. The problem, of course, is a misunderstanding of what worship is. When someone answers the question of worship by saying, I'm not the religious type, he or she is missing the point. If that person is a member of the human race and comes fully equipped with mind, body, and emotions, then it follows that the individual is, in fact, a worshiper. It's factory installed, standard equipment, not a buyer's option. When you subtract the religious language, Worship is the built-in human reflex whew, to put your hope in something or someone and then chase after it. You hold something up and then give your life to pursuing it. If you live in this world, then sooner or later you will grow some, some assumptions concerning what your life is all about, what you should be really going after. And when you begin to align your life with that pursuit, then whether you realize it or not, you are worshiping. That's what human beings do, right alongside breathing and eating and thinking. We identify the things we want, both good and bad, and then we make sacrifices to get them. From the time we're born and introduced to milk, we are forever pursuing what we think will satisfy our appetites. The end result, of course, is that our lives begin to take the shape of what we care about most. We each make the choice to worship, and then at some point, we discover that the choice makes us. The object of your worship will determine your future and define your life. It's the one choice that all other choices are motivated by. So Joshua is speaking to all of us when he says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. At least, he is saying, make an educated decision on the great goal of your life. Otherwise, you will passively flow into some choice by mere os osmosis.
a little bit of you at a time until you find yourself inside a temple bowing to a God you never consciously chose. God says to us that we're all going to worship something. We're all worshiping something. We're all bowing down to something in a heart's posture. Whether you want to admit it or not, whether you have the eyes to see it or not, we're all worshiping something. Someone or something has our allegiance, our attention, and our affections, and we are guided by that every single day. Think about your daily walk. What is it that has your attention for most of the day? Can I talk to us? Plain. Does Instagram have our attention most of the day? Does Facebook have our attention most of the day? Tell it on myself. Does TikTok have our attention most of the day? Are we being governed and shaped by the things that we see in social media? Do our celebrities have our attention for most of the day? Trying to figure out what SZA and Sexy Red and Cardi B and Nicki Minaj and Beyonce and Taylor Swift and Ed Shireen and um, Harry Styles, what they're up to from one day to the next? Does ESPN have our attention for most of the day? Well, we know the stats of every person who played the game last night. We know that the Texas Rangers won the, um, the, the, the World Series last night. Congratulations to them, by the way. You know, long time coming where we know exactly how he dropped that ball and how idiotic he was to drop that ball. And I can't, I can't wait to see what Stephen A. Smith has to say about how he dropped that ball. See, listen, guilty. You know, do, does Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, NPR have our attention most of the day where we are stuck in our echo chambers of who's at fault for what's happening in politics right now, whether it be the Republicans or the Democrats or the Independents or whoever, and we're constantly finger pointing because it's their fault we're in such a mess. It's their fault there was, that we're in such a mess. And, you know, I'm listening to Sean, I'm listening to Hannity, I'm listening to Tucker Carlson, I'm listening to, um, to, 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 to Abby Phillip, you know, listening to, um, gosh, what's the girl's name? I know, I know what her name is, CNN, Joanne Reed on MSNBC, where they're, they're, they are the echo chambers of my, of my existence. And so I, I understand now why America's falling apart, because it's the Democrats' fault, because it's the Republicans' fault. Like, do, do, are, is it the is the is, are we so caught up in our jobs where we know our jobs so well that we know how to jockey for the positions that we want in life? We know, you know, our um our boss's favorite coffee. Know how it, you know, we how we, you know, if we just give give him coffee long enough, he'll allow me an opportunity to sit down at his um at his desk and talk about the future and talk about how I want to do this and how I want to do that. Where we know our coworkers and how they, how they're, how, how you know their 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 proclivities are, so I know how to push them in a certain direction if I want them to do something, and I'm willing to do something underhanded, but I know that I can guide them this way or guide them that way by just saying a sweet word here, or saying a sweet word there. All I'm saying is that there's something that can that has the potential to govern our day to day. 
And if we're not careful, that thing can become the thing that we're worshiping. We have to be ever so mindful of what it is that we're worshiping. Because a lot of times we don't even see it. The, the, listen, Satan and his forces are so crafty that he will blind the eyes of the very elect. When Ma in Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus says there are going to be people who are going to come around saying, I am the Christ. Hey, look, Christ is over here. Christ is over there. He's not talking about people that are, he's not talking about just people who are saying, I'm Jesus. He's saying there are people who are going to say, I'm the chosen one. I'm the one you need to follow. I'm the one you need to worship. I'm the one that you need to, I'm the one that you need to sacrifice to. And for a lot of us, we don't see it. We're dedicating our time and our energy and our resources to people that we're pumping up as the gurus. The ones who are saying, I'm the chosen one. And if we're not careful, we will find ourselves worshiping that thing, worshiping that person, worshiping that ideology. Because all of us are worshiping something. Even if the something that we're worshiping is self, glorifying self, mag magnifying self. And so it says here that we're either going to worship the gods of our, fa or gods of our fathers and mothers, the gods of our past, the gods of our culture, or God himself. The way that he describes it. If we're for worshiping the gods of our fathers, psychology would affirm the likelihood of this transference. Let me back up. I recently saw a title on the cover of a magazine that read, My DNA Made Me Do It. The article was mostly about the fact that you can thank your parents for all your problems. Both your mother and your father contributed to, some, to, to you some 23,000 chromosomes. Some of what you inherited from them is easy to see. You got your dad's nose or your mom's thighs. But that's not all you picked up from them. We often end up worshiping whatever God they worshiped. Psychology would affirm the likelihood of this transference. It's called the law of exposure. The basic premise is that our lives are determined by our thoughts and our thoughts are determined by what we are exposed to. The law of exposure means that our minds absorb and our lives ultimately reflect whatever we are most frequently exposed to. It shouldn't be surprising then that we have a tendency to worship the gods of our fathers and mothers. Perhaps nothing was more important to your dad than a successful career. His life revolved around his job. He was willing to sacrifice days off and family vacations to work his way up the ladder. His mood was determined by what kind of day he had at work. His temple was his office, and he worshipped there a good 60 hours a week. And now, is it possible that you worship the gods of success and achievement? Instead of finding your identity and worth in Christ, do you find it in your career? The gods of your past. He says, do you ever find yourself struggling with things from the past that you thought you had left a long time ago? When I was in high school, I remember being on my way to pick up a girl for a date. Naturally, I had to walk through her front yard. It was a minefield of doggy of dodgy do. 
and being nervous about the date, of course, I wasn't watching where my big feet took me. Her mom answered the door, smiled politely, and invited me in. As I sat on the family sofa next to my date, I noticed a certain unpleasant aroma. I had no, clear, no clue about its source. I sniffed my date, which in retrospect wasn't a good move for a new relationship. I leaned toward her parents. No, they were in the clear. The source of the smell was me. I was ground zero. I looked down at my Doc Martens and realized that I had really stepped in at this time. Quite literally, I felt like I was on an episode of Saved by the Bell when Zach finally gets a date with Kelly only to have it all go wrong. In horror, I looked behind me and realized I had tracked animal excrement in through the entryway across the carpet and into the parlor. Suddenly, I wasn't breathing well. Here's my point. A lot of people become Christians. They invite Jesus to come into their lives, to take the throne of their heart. Everything is great. But then they catch a, a strange whiff of something and realize they brought stuff with them. Stuff that is embarrassing, stuff that is fragrant, stuff in not in a good way. Stuff that should have been destroyed a long time ago but managed to come along for the ride. It's hard to understand because they know their sins are forgiven. If they've been thoroughly cleaned, why is this stuff still clinging to them? In many ways, they haven't changed since conversion. They still have the old desires, the old habits. They invited one Lord into their lives, but they're still paying attention to the old gods. That is the challenge for many of us. The problem isn't that we need to follow, need to choose to follow Jesus. The problem is that we tried to follow him without leaving something behind. The third is the gods of our culture. Two of the most significant factors that consistently determine which gods win the war are time and place. We may not be confronting Baal or Ashtoreth, but we struggle with the gods of our culture every day. We live immersed in what is known as the spirit of the age, the cultural zeitgeist, as it has been called, that is so prevalent it is invisible to us. Fertility rituals and temple prostitution are easy for us to reject because they don't fit in with our times. For those people at that time, the worship of these gods was so ingrained that it seemed natural and harmless. Could it be that we have our own idols hiding in plain sight that we don't recognize simply because they are so common? Paul writes, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The pattern of this world is his way of describing the spirit or the gods of this age. To go with the flow is to conform to the pattern of this world. J.B. Phillips paraphrased that verse, Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. The Bible advises us to renew our minds by plugging them into the eternal, unchanging truth of the one true God. And so, what we again are suggesting is that for many of us, we don't realize what it is that we're actually worshiping if we don't take the time to sit down and ask, what is it that has my heart? What is it that's pulling my heartstrings? What is it that has the potential to turn me? To turn me and, and, and keep my attention, keep my affections, keep, keep me centered and anchored. Again, if you think about what are you watching on TikTok? What are you watching on social media? What are you watching on Facebook and Instagram? What has your attention and what has your affections? 
When you look at what you watch on TV or what you watch on Netflix or what you watch on Hulu or whatever, what has your attention and what has your affections? When you're listening to your music, what has your attention and what has your affections? Because by and large, the things that we're watching from one day to the next, the things that we're listening to from one day to the next, they are guiding and governing who we are and what we do from one day to the next. We're looking, we're, we're trying so hard to see what it is that is governing and guiding us. And so we got to be ever so careful and ever so mindful that we are guarding our hearts, believers. Because our heart's posture should be to Christ and Christ alone. But sometimes in an insidious, subconscious, subliminal way, we can think that we're following God. But in reality, our heart's posture could be no further from where he's at. No further from where from where God is. So we, as the people of God, have to be ever so careful that we're not putting our trust in man, that we're not putting our hopes in politics, that we're not putting our hopes in entertainment, that we're not putting our hopes in, excuse me, in our jobs, that we're not putting our ultimate hope in our spouses, not putting our ultimate hope in, you know, in in the gods of this age, that we're not putting our ultimate hope in the, the accumulation of wealth, that we're not putting our ultimate hope and worth in a good time, that we're not putting our ultimate hope and worth in value in our sexuality, our identity, but instead we are putting our hope in Christ and in Christ alone. Because as it says in scripture, Heaven and earth is going to pass away. All the ideologies, all the governments, everything, all this stuff is going to pass away. Nothing is going to stand. So we put ourselves, we, can't, we, got, we cannot continue to put our hope in things that are, again, so fickle that one day we're moving in this direction, the very next day we're moving in the opposite direction, depending upon how the winds change. Our hope has to be in something eternal because we are eternal beings with an eternal soul that can only be filled and fixed and renewed and restored and revitalized by something eternal. Only eternity can fix what's broken eternally. We need the Lord in our lives to fix the brokenness in our souls. Again, politics ain't going to solve it. It doesn't matter who's sitting on the, in the president's seat. God still reigns on the throne. No president's going to fix the brokenness in this world. I don't care who you, what, what side of politics you're on. Politics ain't going to fix this. It hasn't fixed it since the very beginning. It's not going to fix anything moving forward. Our, our celebrities, no matter how much money they throw at stuff, it's not going to fix the problems of this world. You can ask any celebrity to give all their money away. It's not going to fix the brokenness in this world. We can solve homelessness tonight. There's somebody else who's going to be homeless or who's going to be homeless the next day. Who's going to be hungry the next day. Who's going to be in poverty the next day. Because we can't fix it the way it needs to be fixed. Because there's always going to be somebody who's greedy. And somebody's always going to be willing to push somebody away um, in an attempt to be in, in order to attempt to keep their money. You know, we could, we could, you know, um, you know, put, you know, we could fix and we fix jails and fix prisons to where they're actually true 
rehab centers for people to become better citizens than where they were than when they first got in. But there's always going to be another person who's going to commit a crime. There's always going to be somebody else who's going to do something wrong. And there's always going to be another piece of a broken system that cannot be fixed. No matter how many times you revamp it, no matter how many times you resolve it, no matter how many times you overthrow it. Because there's always going to be somebody else who's going to come in and is going to use what's meant for good for their own evil purposes. We cannot solve the brokenness of this world on our own. We need the Lord in our lives. We need the Lord in our lives. It's the only way to cure what's broken in us eternally. And from that space, it then pours itself out from the salvation that God gives us. No matter how many times we do this or do that, it's not going to solve the brokenness of this world. It's not going to fix what's wrong with this world. We need him in our lives. And so again, I say to us all today, watch, watch what has your attention. Watch what has your affections. Watch what keeps you moving forward. What pushes the needle in your life? Because whatever that thing is, whoever that person is, that thing or that person is what you are worshiping. Because we all are worshipers. We've been designed by an eternal God to worship something bigger and beyond ourselves. Even if we're worshiping self, we're worshiping, as it says again in, in um. In the book Recovering Redemption, you know that, you know, we are worshiping a future version of ourselves. That's what we're chasing down. That's what we're hunting down. The whatever it is that's in front of us, we are chasing that thing. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're trying to pursue. That's what we're in active pursuit of. That thing that's going to be the thing that's going to make all my dreams come true. It's going to make me feel so good on the inside. And so we're saying all this to say, as we wrap this chapter up, um, he has this section in this last, in this, um, in the last part of the chapter calling all gods. He says, and, and we just, and I'm basically just going to read this and then read the blurbs. We are all wired for worship, but um, in our choices are a strong indication of what gods we are worshiping. What I choose to do for a living how I choose to manage my money, what I choose to watch on TV, the people I choose to have as friends, the websites I choose to visit, the clothes I choose to wear, the way I choose to spend my days off, the food I choose to eat, what I choose to think about. All of these choices reveal, the, um, reveal my God of choice. So instead of me asking you what gods you are worshiping, let me ask you about what choices you are making. Stop for a moment and consider your options and then choose carefully. So these are the questions I'm posing to you guys today. How close are your choices to those of your parents? What gods would you identify as the gods of culture? How has following Christ impacted your choices and what past priorities and pursuits continue to influence you again 
How close are your choices to those of your parents? What gods would you identify as the gods of culture? How has following Christ impacted your choices? What past priorities and pursuits continue to influence you? One more time. How close are your choices to those of your parents? What gods would you identify as the gods of culture? How has following Christ impacted your choices? And what past priorities and pursuits continue to influence you? So again, from the book, Gods at War by Kyle Adelman. I recommend, if you haven't gotten this book yet, because we're going chapter by chapter from now till we finish the book, I recommend you pick this book up now. You can find it on, um, on, on, on Kindle, um, and so you can you have easy access to it. You can just, you know, look at it from your Kindle rather than having to get the hardback. I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for a hardback or a paperback. Um, but in that, I leave this, I pose this challenge to us today. Look at your life. And ask yourself the question, what has my attention? What has my ultimate affections? What has my allegiance? Because whatever that thing is, whatever those things are, those are the things that we're worshiping. What has my attention? What has my affection? What has my allegiance? Whatever those things are, those are the things that I'm worshiping. We as the people of God must be ever so careful that we're not saying to God that he is one of many. God is second to no one. God is second to nothing. And God will not be one of many. He is the one and only. As we said in the first chapter of this book, God is not looking to be the CEO of the board of your heart. He's looking to be the entire board. He's not looking to sit on a throne with a bunch of other gods in the, in the, in the fray. He is clearing out the entire room, and reigning on the throne as the sovereign ruler of, of everything. And so we, as the people of God, have to examine our hearts and examine our minds and ask, ourse ask ourselves, who are we truly worshiping? Is God truly the center of our universes and, the, and sits on the throne of our hearts? Or... Is he interchangeable? Depending upon the season, depending upon the circumstance, depending upon what time and what day our team is playing tonight. Depending upon how close my favorite artist is to my city. Depending upon which politician best aligns with what I think is the reason that we're in such chaos and we need somebody to save us. Depending upon who's going to satisfy me the best tonight. 
So we got to ask ourselves, who reigns on the throne? Is it really God? Is it really Jesus? Or is it something completely different? And only you can know. Listen, I don't have a heaven or a hell to put anybody in. Y'all know me. I ain't got a heaven or a hell to put nobody in. That's why we have to study for ourselves and know for ourselves and seek God for ourselves. Because only you know. You know. You know what makes you tick. You know what moves your needle. You know you can check your own pulse. All we're saying is it shows what you're worshiping. Worship is a heart posture. It's not a series of actions. It's not raising holy hands, clapping hands, singing songs, you know, falling out out of the floor, ripping and running, saying hallelujah. That's that that's not that's not worship. Worship is ascribing ultimate value and worth to something and chasing after that thing. That that thing is the thing that makes me tick, that makes me move, that make that has at a moment's notice I'm I'm willing to jump. That is what worship is. And so ask yourself the question, what has the power and what has the potential to make me move in such a way to where I'm willing to give every in any and everything up so that I can say that I have that thing. You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you so, so much for the 860 likes that we've gotten so far. If you've missed any part of this message or want to listen to past episodes, you can go to the True Gospel Morning Show, the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts right now and hit that subscribe button and have all access to every episode of the True Gospel Morning Show from its inception to now. Thank you for the likes. Thank you for the comments. Thank you for the follows. Thank you for the shares. I love y'all so, so much. Um, thank you again for watching. We'll be right back in just a moment.
watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Keisha Bree is in the house on this morning. What's going on, girl? I'm glad to see you this morning. Hope you guys, I hope you are having a fantastic morning in the name of the Lord on today. Hope you're having a very, very, very good morning. Um, and certainly glad that you um, stopped by the, um, the, the True Gospel Morning Show on this morning. Um, we're um, going to be looking at um, George Clooney and others attempting to try to get the Screen Actors Guild strike to um, finally um, come to an end, at least temporarily speaking. You know, if you've noticed, a lot of our TV shows have just kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. Um, and, and a lot of the movies that we had hoped that were going to come out sooner are now coming out a whole lot later because the actors are currently still not working. The Writers Guild has, you know, they've ended their strike, thankfully. So some, you know, late night shows and things have come back on. But a lot of our TV shows, uh, a lot of the, with the September and October lineups, they have, um, you know, completely, um, oh, excuse me, um, um, they've completely uh, been been shut. They've completely been shut down, and so it's very very disheartening to see. Um, the story says George Clooney and other A-listers offer offer over 150 million dollars in higher union dues to um, end actor strike. George Clooney and other stars who are among the top earners in Hollywood have made a groundbreaking proposal to end the actor strike, which has dragged on for over a hundred days. Clooney, along with Ben Affleck, Emma Stone, Scarlett Johansson, and Tyler Perry, met with the Screen Actors Guild American Federation of Television and Radio Artists um, Union to suggest eliminating a $1 million cap on union membership dues so that the highest earners in the business can contribute more. Quote, a lot of top earners want to be a part of the solution, Clooney, a two-time Oscar winner, told Deadline. We offered to remove the cap on dues which would bring over $50 million to, the do to, million dollars to the union annually, well over $150 million over the next three years. We think it's fair for us to pay more into the union. Those funds would go toward providing health benefits for members. The stars also proposed reformulating how actors earn streaming residuals. The offer would prioritize paying the lowest earners first, George Clooney said, according to the Deadline report. Tag after President Fran Drescher responded to the unprecedented offer on Instagram, thanking Clooney and other A-listers for the proposal. She called the offer generous, but warned that it does not impact the contract that we're striking over whatsoever. Quote, we are a federally regulated labor union and the only contributions that can go into our pension and health plans must be from the employer, Drescher said. So what we are fighting for in terms of benefits has to remain in this contract. The union is still waiting for the CEOs to return to the table so they can continue talks. Um, she called out studio heads for avoiding addressing what she calls flaws in the current residual compensation model. Quote, sometimes in life when you introduce an unprecedented business model like they did on, any, on all my family, all of my members with streaming, an unprecedented compensation structure must also go along with it. It may not be easy, it may not be what they want, but it is an elegant way to solve the problem so we can all go back to work in what would be the new normal. SAG after television and theatrical negotiating committee also responded to the proposal in a letter to members on Thursday. Quote, we're grateful that a few of our most successful members have engaged to offer ideas and support. 
The concept of the stars raising their own dues is worthy of consideration, but it is in no way related to and would have no bearing on this present contract or even as a subject of collective bargaining, it continued. It is, in fact, prohibited by federal labor law. For example, our pension and health plans are funded exclusively from employee contributions. It, does, it also doesn't speak to the scale of the overall package. And so, um, me personally, and let, so let me, I'm going to take, I'm going to sit God over here for a minute. Uh, me personally, um, it's, it's frustrating to see, um, this continue on. Um, but just cause I want to watch my TV shows, man. Like I had some shows that I've been waiting on to come on and y'all being dumb. Pay these people their money, man. Like, come on. Like, clearly, pay them their money. I, I want my shows back. That's all. I, I just want my shows back. I just, I, I, you know, I, 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 I love, I love my, I love my TV. I love my streaming. And y'all playing with these people money, and that's playing with me. Like, I want my shows back, please, <laughs> please, give me my shows back. Put these people back to work. Give these people they, 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 they pension. Give these people they health benefits. Getting people what they owe, man. Like, dog it. Like, why is this so difficult to understand? I don't know. Why is this so hard? I don't get it. Like, it's not that difficult. Pay these people their money. Like, I'm, why are we so greedy? Why are we so greedy? Pay these people their money. Just pay these people their money. Like, I've been sitting on G, waiting on O, you know, I'm hoping Queen Charlotte gonna come out with another season because that show was bomb. Waiting on that, you know, the the recruit. Waiting on that, um, you know, uh, the Equalizer with my daughters. We were all up into that show, and now we sitting on here with a cliffhanger. And I hate when they do cliffhangers like that. Now, like I need to know what's gonna happen. And y'all, y'all messing with my TV schedule. That's all I'm saying, man. It's about I'm selfish. I'm sorry, I'm selfish. Getting <laughs> people their money. Getting people their money. So I can watch my TV. Please. I'm tired of watching these game shows. I'm getting about these game shows. I ain't even on the game shows. I ain't even on the game shows. <laughs> I, I can't win they stuff. I'm tired of watching these people win stuff. Pay these people. Give them their money. So I can watch some good TV again. That's all. That's all. It's, it's, it's about me today, y'all. I'm sorry. It's about me. It's about me. I'm selfish. I want my TV back. I just want my TV back. That's all. I just want my TV. I just want my TV back. I just want my TV back. But on the real, um, this is again. Bring it. Trying to let me put him back on the shelf. Um, this is what happens when people get greedy. This is what happens when people get greedy. Like, you know, you have the and, and, and this is and what makes this so sad. You have people who are willing to step in the frame. Willing to take the sacrifice. Put up $150 million. Like, dude, $150 million. Now, I know in the grand scheme of things, we use it to do all sorts of other stuff. So, I'm not, we're not here to argue the merits of that. Within their own profession, so this, in their own profession, these actors are willing to put up their own money so people can go back to work. And, and, and think about it like this. They're putting up their money so that the, 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 the extras... And the one-liners, and the um, and the people that you never pay attention to in the show, the background folk, those people can have benefits. 
those pe- the, the ones who you never you never watch when you're watching the credits and they show all these people that were in the show we'll never pay attention to them that's who they're sacrificing for the 150 million dollars that they want to put in is for them it's not even for the for the top tier actors they they like I got my money I, I'm not worried about me I want to go back to work and if it means they gotta we gotta get them benefits let's give them some benefits let's make sure they got too because I've been there. I've been there. I've been where they were when I was a nobody. Didn't nobody know me from Adam. They, I got a shot. I took my shot. I was able to be very successful. I want to take what I have and now give it to somebody else so that they can have a chance but not have to struggle as much as I did. They don't have to suffer as much as I did. They don't have to they don't have to, you know, they don't have to feel the weight of, you know, trying to bust tables and all that type of stuff the way that I did. If, we, if I can put $50 million in a pot over three years so that they can have, why not? And here they come. Well, you know, the federal labor laws prohibit and, you know, well, we can't do it like that. And it still ain't going to help with the contract. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, bruh. Like, there's always some there's always some red tape that gets in the way of doing something that's gonna help somebody. Always something it feels like it anyway. I ain't gonna say always because I'm trying to get out of absolutes. It seems to be it's always something that gets in the way of trying to do a good thing for people. And so greed always finds a way. Greed will find a way to harden the hearts of people who have the power to help somebody. That's why we said in our last segment, we can't rely on politicians to save us. Because at the end of the day, they're playing a game. And the game ain't got nothing to do with us. Everything to do with how long can I stay in power and make as much money as possible so that I can make sure my kids are well off, I'm well off, I put some stock in something. Everybody's playing the game. Now again, let me let me let me, let me preface my thoughts. It ain't everybody, but it shows a whole lot of them. And there's and there, the disillusionment of the collective is such to where we suffer because of their disillusionment. And greed is running a lot of it. Because again, money talks. I say this all the, I say this very often. You want to get somebody in power to move, cut the money off. Cut the money off. And I promise you, you can get them to do whatever you want them to do. Whatever you want them to do. If you cut the money stream off. You can get them to move however you want them to move. When football was doing their thing, you know, when, you know, when, when they were treating Colin Kaepernick with such vitriol, all we had to do as a collective is stop watching football. I promise you that whole situation would have ended up a whole lot different. I promise you it would have, it would have woke everybody in the NFL up. But what did we do? We kept watching. We kept cheering. We kept paying for tickets. We kept paying for jerseys. We kept paying for the high-priced high hot dogs and drink. 
We kept celebrating. We kept, you know, worshiping that pigskin getting thrown from one field, one side of the field to the other. And as a result, the football fields, they, 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 they did what they did to him. All and all, and now everybody, everybody wants to kneel now because it's the popular thing to do. Or at least it was for a time, you know, hashtag 2020, but it was the convenient thing to do. Right. It, it, it like they kept watching. They kept watching. If they, if everybody would have put their collective selves together and said, let's just not watch for two weeks. I bet you Colin Kaepernick still be in the NFL today. Hands down. E e easy. If you want people to move in the world that we live in, more so than in any other generation, but, you know, it's been like this since the dawn of time, follow the money. Cut the money off. You want these people, you know, to move? That, that's why they're not acting now. They're hoping that it will push them to make a move on behalf of the actors. But as long as there's something on TV to watch and we keep watching Netflix and we keep watching Hulu and all those sorts of things, it's not going to move them. They're going to, well, I mean, they're still watching Netflix. The prices keep going up. Ain't nobody taking their subscriptions off yet. The subscriptions keep going up. So we're not affecting anything. And this is all, again, an indication of greed. He says in, in Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17, as he was setting out on his journey, talking about Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and said and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to, in to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. To honor your mother and father. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is one who has left house. There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. For people who have plenty, it's difficult for them to put themselves in a position where they want to be there for those who don't. It's not impossible, but it's difficult. 
because there is a disillusionment where they're able to get whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want it. And as such, they forget about the little guys. They forget. One of the reasons why I love the show New Amsterdam so much is because, you know, for all of Max's stubbornness, he's always fighting for the little guys. He's always standing up for the little guys. He's always thinking about the little guys. The way in which he, you know, talked to the janitors with such kindness and decency and let and reminded them in order for this hospital to run well, it has to be sanitary. You guys are the are the primary reason why this thing can run because you're cleaning everything up. Without you, we couldn't do our jobs. We need y'all. And for them to just be acknowledged, let alone taken care of financially, wild concept, right? But how often do our hospitals always take care of the big, the big top dogs? We gotta take care of the doctors, take care of the CEO who ain't never been in, in medical school, you know, the one who's funding everything. We gotta make sure they're taken care of, that their share the shares are taken care of, but we never take care of the little guys. Greed has a way of taking livelihoods away from people. And these actors, you know, I'm not talking again, not talking about the top dogs that are that are A-listers, not talking about the ones who've made money and been and been had, you know, movies out the yin yang and got portfolios and all that type stuff. Talking about the little guys. The ones who are playing who are all who are playing in the background, who you never hear about. Who's gonna stand up for them? That's why I thank God that we serve a God who looked out for us. He's not just a God of the rich. He's the God of all. He's not the God of the successful. He's the God of all. He's not the God of the celebrity. He's the God of all. He's not the God of the celebrity pastor. He's the God of all. He's not the God of the super saint. He's the God of all. And I thank God that he thought it not robbery to see a little old guy like me who don't deserve a thing. And he said, for you, I got on a cross and died. And it's that's, that heart's posture of if God could do that for me, what can I do to help someone else along the way? Through both word and deed. What can I do? Because what Christ did for me, like, for a good person, one would even dare to die. But while we were sinners, while we were enemies, while we were weak, Christ died for the ungodly. For me. For you. For us. We didn't deserve it. Can't earn it. Our righteousness is a filthy rag before God, bloody tampon before God. We don't deserve anything that God gives us. And yet he got on the cross and died for us. So the least we can do is through our time, our talent, our treasure, our resources, our effort, our intellect, our will, something. We can be there for somebody else. Stand up for somebody else. Advocate for somebody else. Put in for somebody else. Because he did it for us. When it says 
we love because God first loved us, because Christ first loved us, we are to look to the example of Jesus. And whatever and what for what he did for us, that should be the guide, the goalpost, the 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 the, the, the what they call the, the lighthouse, the light that shines, the guiding light. To show us the way. For how else will they know that we are his disciples unless we have love one for another? No greater love than God has for us. Than we, um, than him giving his life, laying down his life for his friends. So we as the people of God, we are be, we're given the blueprint the GPS, as Marcus is saying, and saying, "Let it me, let me show love, and whatever I got to do in order to fight for the little guy, I'm willing to do it, because Christ died for me. Someone who's so unworthy of any of his love, any of his treasure, any of his blessing, anything that God has given us." You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Certainly grateful for the 1,200 likes that we have received thus far. Hope you guys are indeed in liking the show. Um, if you've missed any part of this message or would like to hear any of our past episodes, you can go to our Spotify and Apple Podcast page right now and subscribe to the True Gospel Morning Show, the podcast. Um... Thank you for every like, every comment, every follow, every share. Um, if you have any questions or concerns, feel free to drop down in the comment box and ask us anything. We just ask that you keep it classy. If you do, if you do a little too much, we're going to have to hit you with that mute button. But feel free to ask any question down in that box below. And if the question is, you know, is, is, is whatever the question is, I'll put it in the list of questions that we do have. Um, from the chat and on some future episode of this show I promise you I will answer that question thank you so much and we'll be right back in just a moment
watching the True Gospel Morning Show right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Certainly grateful for all of the likes and the comments and the shares that we've gotten so far. Um, and just grateful that you guys are, are keeping it live with me right here on TikTok. Um, we're going to talk um, about the concept of listening to and, and following the lies of the devil. I'm going to attempt to let you guys see this video. Now, if it starts going crazy, then I know I need to do something completely different. So I'm going to try this. I ain't tried it before. Holding my phone while being live because my internet's so stupid. And sometimes I touch my phone and be like, oh no, you're touching me. Uh, shut down. You know, so I'm going to try this so y'all can see the video. So let's see if I can make this work. If I can't make it work, then I ain't going to do this never again. So, here we go. All right, I got my phone. All right, I'm going to flip the camera around. Please, please keep working. Okay, all right. Hold on a second. Let me mirror the video so you guys can see. Okay. All right, we still got it. Okay, here we go. I'm going to hit the play button. All right, you got it? Okay, Are we still good? Okay, here we go. Turn a temporary season into a permanent narrative. And here's where the enemy wins, when he stops whispering it and you start reciting it. Because then he gets to step back and do what he does best, accuse the brethren. Here's the thing about the enemy being an accuser of a brethren. He lies to us. He is a deceiver of the brethren. You know who he is never deceived? Do you know who he's never lied to? God. Because he can't. He cannot lie. A liar will not tarry in his presence. <laughs> so the lie is only to us. The truth is to him. So when he accuses the brethren, he's telling the truth. And that's why we need an advocate. Because he's not lying to God about us. Do you hear what he's saying? He's disavowing his relationship with you. Do you see what Tim's doing? Kill him. <laughs> you you got to send him to where you've sent me. You can't prosecute him now. He fed me the line, and then he accuses me for Absolutely. speaking it's the line. Absolutely. It's entrapment. And that's why he can't stand the blood. Because it lets the guilty go free. That's why he can't stand the blood. Because without the blood, we are guilty. Because everything he said to God about us is the truth. Prez, it is the truth. His accusations are correct. He's not lying. I did sin. I did turn my back on God. Whatever he says, it's the it's truth. truth. If we can just sift through the lie, Ugh. you can find his narrative. His narrative is yes and the blood. Yes and mm -hmm. you're forgiven. We literally turn a temporary season into a per First off, I can't believe I got it to work. And normally my phone be like, oh, you're touching me. Oh, you're touching me. Oh, get off me. Oh, I'm going to go. I'm just going to mess up. So many of us as believers in God have a skewed relationship with him because of lies that we bought into that the enemy has given us. Many of us who are unbelievers 
are unbelievers because of lines that the enemy has given us. And we've been, we bought into the lies. When Adam and Eve fell, they fell because they bought into a lie. The lie was wrapped up in half-truths, but it was a lie nonetheless. And as a result, they fed into and bought into the lie that was given them, and they fell as a result of that. How many of us as believers today have bought into Lies that the enemy told us in our childhoods. Lies that the enemy told us in our adolescence. Lies that the enemy told us in our early adulthoods. And we fed on and bought into those lies. The devil is so crafty that he'll tell us something and he'll tell it to us over and over again until it becomes the revolving narrative in our heads. And once we're telling ourselves the lie that he told us, he goes away. Because he did his job. He got us to believe in the lie. And because we now believe in the lie, we're not operating in that lie. We act in that lie. And that lie leads us to sin. When sin is conceived, it births death. And in that space, as Tim Ross explained to Preston Morrison, now the devil can go to God and say, See, he doesn't love you. See, doesn't care about you. See, gonna do what they want to do. Look at what they did. Look at how they messed up. Look how they made a mistake. Look how they did wrong. And we thank God that he's paved the way to where, just as Tim Ross said, yes, and he's forgiven. Yes, and the blood of the cross will cover him. Yes, and love covers a multitude of sins. Yes. And in my righteousness and in my being just and justifier, covered that on the cross. For many of us, we can buy into the lie that says that there's nothing that we can do to get God to love us again. Because of what we did. Because of how we messed up. Because of how we made a mistake. And the truth of the matter is, no, there's nothing that we can do apart from Christ's finished work. But we stop at, there's nothing we can do. We think that our sins are so dirty. We think that what happened to us is so foul that we can believe in our hearts, God could never love me. God could never care about me. God could never, you know, think that I'm worthy. But we forget God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. 
we buy into the lie that the condemnation is so great that it can't be overcome, thereby nullifying what Christ did on the cross. Because we think we're not a we, we there's nothing we can do, so why try? The idea is yes, you're absolutely right, there's nothing you can do, but Christ did something for you. There's nothing you can do to to earn the right to the kingdom. That's true. And God provided the way through the finished work of Christ. What lies, what deceptions are you still buying into? What happened to you in your younger years that made you feel unworthy, made you feel unloved, and you've been working ever since in an attempt to absolve what happened to you in your past? What happened to you in your younger years what, what did someone do to you? What did someone say to you? Where, did, did you receive the hug or the pat on the head or the comfort that you needed? Did you not get it? And you thought yourself unlovable, thought yourself unworthy, thought yourself, you know, not needing, you know, to have a connection with anybody or anything. Distancing yourself from God. Thinking I got to go to church or I got to pray and I got to do this and I got to do that. And it's just too much to absolve myself of the dirt, absolve myself of the filth, absolve myself of the pain, absolve myself of the issues that I've been dealing with. For many of us as believers, we believe in God, we believe in Jesus, we believe what he did, but we don't rest in that. There is something in our heads that's playing on repeat that is saying God is not enough. That is saying you will never be worthy. That is saying you deserve hell. That is saying God can't be real. God can't, God, there's no way that a God would exist and all this happened. There's no way that a God could exist and this happened to me. That All this stuff that went down in my life, all the pain that I've been through my whole life, there's no way that God could ever love me. You know how many preachers and pastors and teachers and leaders in the churches buy the, into that lie all the time? They can give God to you, but they won't receive him themselves. In pulpits and in lecterns, in an attempt to absolve themselves of wrongdoings, but buying into the lie that there, there, there'll never be enough, period. Not comma. See, we sometimes we say all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, period. 
We say all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, period. But if you ever look at Romans chapter 3, you actually see that there's a comma there. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, comma. And are justified by, by, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We are so quick to, we can be so quick to look at our lives and say all have sinned and come short of the glory of God in our hearts. And as a result, feel like we are, we, there's no way that God could love me. No way that God could, you know, could, could, could bring me in. Not me. Not with all my problems. Not with all my issues. Not with all my proclivities. Not with all my hangups. And God is saying, you're right, you can't, but I did. Christ is both just and the justifier. So I pose this to you guys today. What lies that the enemy has said to you are playing on repeat in your mind. What lies has the enemy fed you that you're now carrying out for yourself? I say this to people all the time in therapy who deal with similar issues like this. I say to them, you're saying something to yourself over and over and over and over and over again. Where did you get that from? Because I can almost guarantee you, it didn't start with you. It didn't start with you. Somehow, some way, that line was fed to you. Whether it was verbal, whether it was an action, whether it was inaction, whether it was, you know, whatever. And it could have been fed to you as early as three or four years old, but you latched on to it. And without anybody to either tell tell them this is what you're thinking or them to be able to interrupt that by giving you something different, you held on to that lie. And it eventually became the narrative of your existence. That you were now telling yourself. Where did you get that from? And once we're able to look at the origin of it, we ask ourselves, is it true? Is it true? Tears and snot. No. But a, a lot of the things that we are that we are carrying right now in our lives are the direct result of things that people have said to us. Lies that were fed to us. Lines that were told to us in some way, shape, or form by either word or deed. And as a result, we've been carrying these lies 
our entire lives. And we carry these lies into our relationship with God. God is saying to us today, don't believe the hype. Believe in me. The lines that have been fed to you. They're half truths. Yes, you are unworthy. Apart from me. I make you worthy. Yes, you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But you're justified by grace. Yes, you were a sinner. But while you were a sinner, I died. We don't have to keep carrying the lines and the lies that the, that the devil has given us. That keep us tethered, bound, and shackled to this world and to him. You can be free. Because though where the, where the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is... There is liberty and us, we who worship, who worship the Lord must worship him in both spirit and truth. So God tells us, don't fall for the hype. We serve a true and living God. Who reminds us every single day of his love, of his grace, and those should be the narratives that are playing in our heads. God's truth. When the lies and the accusations come, we can stand boldly and say, yes, but God. Or if you want to go the Tim, the Tim Ross route, yes, and God. For at the end of the day. God has conquered everything through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Orchestrated from the dawn of time. So whatever lies and lines you're holding on to, submit those things before the Lord. Submit those strongholds to the Lord and lay them at his feet so that he can take the key, unlock the chains, unlock the shackles, and set you free. You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Certainly grateful for the 1,300 likes that we've received thus far. Thank you for every like, every comment, every follow, and every share. If you missed any part of this message or would like to hear future or past episodes, feel free to go over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the True Gospel Morning Show, the podcast, and listen to any and all of our episodes from inception to now um, at your leisure. We thank you so, so much. If you have any questions or comments that you want to ask me, feel free to drop down in that comment box below and say anything that's on your mind. All we ask is that you keep it classy. If you get out of pocket, we will give you that nice little mute button. Um, and so again, you know, but you're, you're more than welcome to say anything that you would like to say or ask any question that you would like to ask. And so don't, don't hesitate to drop down in that comment box below and hit us up with your thoughts and your comments. 
Uh, thank you so much for watching. We'll be right back in just a moment. the true gospel morning show with your boy eddie d right here on tiktok live we're with you monday through friday 6 a.m to 8 a.m eastern standard time someone in the chat box asked the question why are people not going to church um with the advent of um of uh places like tiktok and social media outlets and um definitely with the pandemic hitting in 2020 uh, people came to the realization that you don't necessarily need to be in a brick and mortar building in order to have a vibrant relationship with the Lord. Um, and so as a result, a lot of people are not going to church anymore. Um, and so um, I wanted to take these next 10, you know, uh, the 15 minutes um, to talk about why people aren't going to church anymore. There's a plethora of reasons. Um, and I'm going to go over a few of them with you right here. Um, again, as always, you know, and Nicole said, I dare not answer, you know, well, you know, I'm going to, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it for the, for the both of us. Um, uh, point number one is people are no longer deceived by what a lot of churches have perpetuated as in order for you to be saved, you have to have, you have to be a part, you have to be a part of a church. Um, a lot of churches have perpetuated this idea that salvation is equated to church membership and people just ain't falling for that no more. Like it's not, it's not work. It's not work. It doesn't work anymore. You do not have to go to church to have a relationship with the Lord. That's just a fact. You do not have to have, you do not have to go to church to have a relationship with God. Salvation is not through church membership. Salvation is through repentance and belief. And if you look in a lot of people who got saved, they were not saved in the church. 
They got saved on the streets. They got saved in the bars. They got saved in the brothels. They got saved, you know, all over the place. Like, people were being saved left and right all over the place in people's houses. Like, salvation does not happen through church membership. It can if someone decides to join a church the same day they want to get saved, sure. But being at a church does not equate to salvation. You do not have to have a church membership to be saved. That's point number one. Point number two. A lot of um, a lot of people, had, the scales have been taken off of their eyes. And they realized that a lot of preachers and pastors were um, promoting church membership over a relationship with the Lord. That churches, that church leadership were promoting membership over relationship. And so you'd have a lot of churches that would say, you know, um, um, you know, in order for God to bless you, you got to do this for the church. In order for God to bless you, you got to, um, you got to, uh, you know, pay your tithes in order to be blessed by God. 2020 taught us. I hope it taught a lot of us that you don't have to pay tithes to be blessed by God. You can give to the church, sure, but there are a lot of people who paid their tithes during the pandemic and they were laid up in the hospital. You got a lot of people that pay tithes and the blessings that people think are going to be poured out on them where they don't have enough room to receive, they're still working as janitors today. Still working as janitors today, and what can what's happened is a lot of the a lot of pastors and preachers they taught people erroneous doctrines on what giving is about, and as such created their churches became pseudo pyramid schemes, and a lot of folk see this, and they realize I don't want any I don't want to be a part of that. It's not every church. Not every church ascribes to that. Not every church is make, makes it mandatory to pay tithes. You're, it's not mandated by God to do that as far as the New Testament is concerned. We can argue merits on that on another day. But, you know, if you do decide to give, you know, give to how God, you know, prescribes you to do it. But again, a lot of churches set up their Ponzi schemes to make people believe that if they don't give, then they are cursing themselves and that they are not, um, they're not following the rules of membership. And a lot of people are like, that ain't what scripture say. Where that in the Bible, I don't have to, I don't have to go there anymore. A lot of people stop going to church because the church hurt. Somebody said something stupid, out of pocket, out of out of out of out of out of mouth, and ended up saying something so asinine, so mean, so calloused. I can't believe she wore that to church. She ain't got nothing else to wear. I've told y'all my story of where the church that I used to pastor accused me of working for the KKK. As black as I am. I'm working for the KKK. And that stuff hurt. And so for a lot of people, they're like, no, I'm not going to subject myself to that again. Because no matter where I go, somebody's always 
always got something to say. And you get tired of that. And so people stop coming to church because the church, is, the, the church leadership is so mean. Church leadership is so calloused. Church leadership, you know, it's always funny that it seems like. Emphasis on the word seems like. Most of your leadership in a lot of churches don't know Jesus. They know a lot about business, but they don't know enough about Jesus. And these are the ones that are in charge of the people. And so a lot of people, they're not going back to church. A lot of churches were founded on faulty principles, faulty doctrines, and people are not, they're not, they're not falling for that anymore. We thank God for, for, for all the, the bad stuff that's happened with social media. There's a whole lot of good that's happened with it too. And one of those things is that the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is getting out there now. And people are realizing, oh, wow, the church that I attended is actually in a lot of erroneousness. Like they're living in a lot of heresies. They're preaching a lot of faulty truths. They're, they're teaching a lot of false doctrines. And I don't have to go back to that. I'm talking about believers. I'm not talking about unbelievers. Un unbelievers, they they, they, they won't go in church no way. So, hey. I'm talking about believers. Believers have stopped going because of that. There is a resurgence that's taking place where the people of God who are no longer churchy are still looking for connection and still looking for community. And there seems to be a resurgence now of truth tellers. And those truth tellers coming together to give the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it means to really be a believer in him and walking out the truth of the gospel and not the truth of church. Now, what does that mean that they will form their own churches? More than likely. <laughs> More than likely. Churches rise and fall all the time. But the hope and expectation is that the foundation will be such to where people are actually following the true and living God and not following the denomination. For a lot of us, you know, per, per, myself included, just get tired. That no matter where you turn, there's always somebody that's putting, somebody in leadership that's putting denomination or the church itself over God and that gets tiresome and we're of the generation now where we don't have to put up with that we don't have to put up with the abuse we don't have to put up with knowing that the pastor's doing all sorts of kind of shady things but there's but he's still in he's still in the seat of authority at that church because everybody's scared to touch my that anointed one and do my prophet no harm while he out there wilding I mean, wildin'. But don't touch my anointed one. People ain't following for that no more. 
Gone are the days where, you know, people are, you know, which are are standing for the junk, the shuck and jive of of religion. We want relationship with the true and living God. And by and large, the scales have been lifted off the eyes of the believers. And we're simply saying, I don't have to go back. Not to that. If less now, if God is sending you there, that's a whole nother concept, a whole nother story, you know, and God bless you. But that's why God people saying, I don't have to go back to that. I don't have to go back to that. Like that's that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel's not coming out of that. And so again, a lot of people have been hurt, a lot of people have been they're tired of being duped, a lot of people are tired of the fallacies and the lies that have been perpetuated throughout a lot of the churches that are that are in station and they're just like, "No, I don't have to go back to that." God longs for us to be in community. Let's let's keep it a buck. But God also recognizes that if the community is so tainted and poisoned, you don't have to subject yourself to that. Be led by God where he wants you to go. But recognize that you don't have to be in a place where you know God is not. You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our good news are something praiseworthy on today. Um, a millionaire builds 99 tiny homes to cut homelessness in the community and even provides jo- jobs on site for them. After selling his company for eight figures to a competitor, one Canadian entrepreneur is using his profit to build a community of tiny homes for those who need it the most. In the New Brunswick city of Fredericton, his factory is now churning out one tiny home every four business days in a bid to create the 12 neighbors gated community of 99 homes in an enterprise center to give homeless Fredericktonians a real second chance. 12 Neighbors founder Marcel Lebrun has had a successful social media monitoring company, which he sold to an American competitor and is now putting his new money where his mouth was. Every time he used to say something needed to be done about homelessness problem in the city. Around 1,600 people in New Brunswick found themselves homeless for at least a day last year. Quote, I see myself as a community builder, and really what we're doing here is not just building a little community, but we're building a community in a city. Like, how do we help our city be better? He has invested $4 million of his own money on the project to build 99 homes. He's currently three quarters of the way there. With grants and support from the provincial and national government, the 12 neighbors community has received $12 million in total. This tiny home, the tiny home, tiny tombs, I think it meant tiny homes, have everything. Um, they were built in a, a pre-built in a warehouse in which LeBron employs skilled volunteers to assemble the homes which are then moved by heavy machinery onto the concrete blocks to make the foundation. While LeBron believes the problem of tackling homelessness isn't as hard as people make it out to be, he does have a particular strategy in mind, namely welcoming those who may suffer from any of the, the maladies that homelessness is generally, generally accompanied by 
to a place where ownership of property can give them a new sense of responsibility and a community of people who understand what they are going through. Um, LeBron has had critics who believe it's better to introduce them back into a functional society rather than sequester them. But in any case, the millionaire understands the baggage, emotional and societal, that some of the residents may bring along so the 12 neighbors community is equipped with state-of-the-art security and gates to stop unwelcome visitors. He says he lives right behind the security gates. Cars coming in all the time, 3 o'clock in the morning waking me up. The gates have set boundaries. Along with the houses, the community comes with an enterprise center where a coffee bar that will be run as a business by the residents is being put in, in addition to a teaching kitchen and a silk printing business where Seymour has a job printing text and graphics onto shirts and totes and things. Part of the idea of the enterprise center is to make 12 neighbors a community that Fredertonians can and will visit for a cup of coffee for a good deal on shirt printing. And so... Every now and then, you know, like we were saying before in our um, What Would Jesus Say segment, you'll have people who are willing to put their money where their mouth is. Put their money where their mouth is. Like, you know, again, we don't see this stuff. And that's why we think all rich folk are, are evil, heartless, you know, soulless. There are some good people in this world. And some of those good people got a lot of bank. And they're doing something with their money to help someone along the way. And so again, have the heart of the heart of Christ with the heart of Christ inside of us, we are able to go and do the things that God is calling us to do as a people. And so whether you have a little or whether you have a lot, don't be afraid to do something for somebody along the way. Because again, that is what God has called us to do. As we do the things, you know, that God is calling us, we give people Jesus. We give them God. We give them the gospel along the way to let them know that this is just an example of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for us. If I can do this for you and give you a home, imagine what God can do for your soul. You know, I can, I can give you a helping hand by giving you some money, but and God can do something for your soul. You know, I can give you, you know, some good advice and God can do something for your soul. Like it, it does. It, we, we have the ability as the believers to do such a great and powerful work for people. If we're willing to see how can I leverage my skills, my gifts, my talents, my abilities, my platforms so that somebody can get a word through that, that, that God can get a word to somebody. Because again, at the end of the day, we are the disciples of Christ and we let our light shine for others before others that they may see our good works and glorify God which is in heaven so I challenge all of us today as I as you hear me always say if you can't see the good be the good go out and help somebody today you know I know panhandlers get on our nerves but sometimes we entertain angels and don't even know it and so again don't be intimidated to help somebody along the way, give what you can, give what you have, but, you know, again, be willing to make sure that you give them Jesus along the way, because at the end of the day, God loves everyone and wants a relationship with everyone, regardless of how you feel about them, regardless of whether you want anything to do with them, our charge to the unbeliever, especially the unbeliever, God loves you and wants a relationship with you. And so if you're willing and, and able to give people Jesus, go give them Jesus today. Because somebody out there is watching the life that you live and wondering, is Jesus worth 
worth listening to, worth following, and you might be the very Jesus that these people need to see. I want to thank you guys so, so much for the 1,300 likes that we've received today. I want to thank you guys so, so much for every like, every follow, every comment, and every share. You guys are all rock stars in my book. Again, want to thank Keisha Bree for coming through on today and hanging out with us a little bit on today. I'm definitely grateful for that. Nicole, I love you to life. Thank you so much for all that you've done. I know Marie probably in school right now, but the story that we just got came from her. And so I thank her for doing my research on yesterday to get us the story. I want to thank y'all again so, so much for supporting the True Gospel Morning Show on today. You guys are all rock stars in my book, and I would not be here if it not been for y'all. I love y'all so, so much. Thank you for watching the True Gospel Morning Show. And just like I said before, if you can't see the good, be the good. I love you guys. Peace out, homies.